Playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by FexcoCurrency.com. Your route to great rate travel money at participating credit unions. Good morning. It's been quite the week. As a trained accountant and a former financial controller, I am appalled as to how payments were recorded and presented in the RTE accounts. What was the motivation here? It appears to me that this was an act designed to deceive. If I can just explain what happened here. The barter account sat outside the normal system of control. Yeah, it's a slush fund, because if you look at the definition of a slush fund, and I got it from Black's Law Dictionary, a reserve of money held secretly by a company that had no accountability for its use. That's exactly what we're talking about. This is a slush fund. So let's stop talking about it being a barter account. Okay. We had very little accountability about the money going into it. It was. During that conversation with Noel Kelly, he would have said to you what the invoices were for. Yes. Yes. And what did he say they were for? No, it was more, I was taking my instruction from the Director General who said... No, but what did Noel Kelly, when the conversation you had with him, uh, he was looking to have those invoices raised. What did he tell you the invoices were for? Um, now, come on, be truthful. I, I, what I did he tell I, you I the invoices were for? But just to be clear, Deputy, I, uh, I spoke to him about raising the invoices to send to the barter company. Right. And in so that you were having a conversation with Noel Kelly about raising invoices, but yes. you didn't know what the invoices oh, were I for. I knew the invoices. Seriously. Deputy, I knew the invoices were related to the 75 grand payment per year which I had been across in year one yeah, and so which you, I was not across in year two and three but was asked to use the barter account to pay for so yeah. I, I knew what they were for. You knew they were for yes. top-up payments for Ryan Tuberty, yes, yeah. Yes, I do. Could, could I ask you this, that in relation to consultancy, you know, that if somebody was coming in to advise you, um, somebody who would be negotiating on behalf of agents and negotiating on behalf of a number of agents in RTE, would you think it appropriate that they would be hired then to do some consultancy work? On reflection now, I don't think it is appropriate. But on, re- on reflection, I mean, this man had the whole thing in the palm of his hand. He wrote the letter of the man, according to the Grant Thornton report, demanding the final settlement. He sent over a letter for, you, for the board to sign, for the DG to sign. And he had the power of God by the look of that in the Grant Thornton report. For, for, for the record, how much are you paid as, as Chief Finance Officer? <laughs> I think that's a private matter. You know, I think we're going to disclose our, our okay. we're going to disclose our earning. We've been sorry, asked. Sorry, just sorry, just want to intervene here for a minute. The chair of the board said that all of those figures are going to be published. And given the fact that you're, you know, that you're in the you're working for a public organisation, I would expect to hear that answer here today. The deputy has asked you, much is your salary? I, expect you to, I would expect you to answer that question. I don't know what my exact salary is off the top of my head. Of course, don't know but I can give you. I, no, I can give you. Sorry, Chief Financial Officer of RT can tell us what he's paid. Am I supposed to buy that? Chief Financial Officer, just. Chief Financial Officer, you can ask the question. RT is, you know, transparency, true transparency. Well, I have no trust. problem being transparent. True with you, transparent and trust. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's a very basic question, and I expect the answer to it. For the members, okay. I, I believe my salary is around two hundred thousand base salary, plus a car allowance of twenty five thousand.
Just some of the voices from Thursday's Public Accounts Committee. And every day this RTE controversy seemed to bring more revelations and more anger. Where to begin? Monday brought this. The Director-General of the Broadcaster, Dee Forbes, who had been suspended last Wednesday, has announced her resignation with immediate effect. So Dee Forbes gone and she acknowledged that as DG she was ultimately accountable for what happens within the organisation. She apologised unreservedly. But Audrey Carvel read this final line of her statement. The board of RTE has not treated her with anything approaching the levels of fairness, equity and respect that anyone should expect as an employee, a colleague or a person. And Dee Forbes did not attend either the Oireachtas Media Committee or the Public Accounts Committee hearings this week, citing reasons of ill health. And because she had resigned, she was under no obligation to attend. And it would turn out Minister for Media and Culture Catherine Martin was in the dark about her suspension. Here's Fiannan Sheehan of the Irish Independent with Anya. And it's uh, striking, isn't it, that the minister was not informed that the director general had been suspended. And then also questions from the committee about the fact that when the director general did then resign, that the board accepted that resignation. So this is quite remarkable and it goes to the heart of, you know, whatever about having public confidence, having political confidence is also important. And the Taoiseach was raising her on the week that wasn't very happy that they were finding out about this late. Minister told in March there was something going on, but wasn't really told uh, how how serious uh, it 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 was. We, we now discover, so basically this time last week, D Forbes is on annual leave. That is what we are, we are told by RTE. It turns out that evening, actually, no, D Forbes is suspended two days earlier, but the RT chair, Shioni Ratley, never says, never mentions this at all, either in the statement or when she appears as Dave McCullough on the Six O'Clock News. She it said now, for labour law reasons. For labour law reasons. Now, yesterday, it turns out that two weeks ago, when this, this Grant Thornton uh, r- report comes back, which is the night, the morning after D Forbes going away party the night before, uh, Shoni Rahali asks uh, D Forbes uh, to resign. Uh, she doesn't resign, but but she has now uh, resigned uh, t- ten days later. Uh, Shoni Rahali meets with Catherine Martin, the minister, eight days later, and and doesn't mention any of this to her either. RTE board chair Shuni Rahali would go on to apologise to Minister Martin for this non-disclosure. Now, in her statement, Dee Forbes said that she had no knowledge of payments to Ryan Tuberty from 2017 to 2019. And those payments of €120,000 are the subject of a separate report from Grant Thornton to be published in four weeks' time. Although, the push is on to get that one delivered quicker. And all the while, questions swirled this week about RTE and the deal with Renault. On Tuesday morning with Claire, Tom Lines of The Currency. And we are back to the barter account business. If you cash out, if you use this for for cash, it's at a rate of 65%. So clearly that kind of account is not intended for use as for cash purposes, for paying an invoice like this. Would you read that into this? That's the only way you can read it into Claire. Like it's highly unusual of... This is a 300 million euro turnover business of all the accounts to go to. You go to this one. It's the one that for many years was, and this is a quote from the CFO, it was off balance sheet until the current CFO brought it in 
And then he said it still it was outside normal controls because payments could be made through it by the commercial team that didn't have to first get signed off by the finance team. Mm -hmm. So this was a very unusual account uh, uh, to choose of all of the accounts to make such a potentially controversial payment. It just is mind boggling that this is the account that is chosen rather than just a a straight up run of the mill normal account. And we would learn that it cost RTE more than €47,000 for three events hosted by Ryan Torberty for Renault in 2022. Now the actual cost of staging the events was a little over 30000 but factor in that old barter account and the costs rise. When you're hearing about these events and you're hearing about the cost cuts that were being sought within RTE at the same time and people's expenses being going through and everybody not being asked to tighten their belts, it does raise lots and lots of questions, Mm -hmm. uh, which we need to get answers to. You know, is this normal practice? Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, it seems highly unusual and something that, again, seems to be tied into this feeling that there are certain people in RTE who are treated differently to others. And we learned more about this commercial side deal. The commercial side deal, which is called in in the report the tripartite agreement, that was proposed to the commercial brand and the commercial brand agreed to participate in this agreement only on the basis that it was cost neutral to them. So it would not cost them a penny. Now, there's no explanation, is there, as to why RTE would agree to do that? No. On Tuesday evening, finally, just before six o'clock, the redacted Grant Thornton report to the RTE Audit and Risk Committee and the accompanying statement from the Interim Deputy Director General Adrian Lynch. Elaine Lachlan of the Irish Examiner joined Cormac. So essentially, only one person had all of the information pertaining to the salary and extra salary of Ryan Tuberty. And that appears to have been, uh, if you read this report, D Forbes. So only D Forbes knew everything. And that assertion would prove contentious. Here is NUJ representative Seamus Dooley on Morning Ireland. I think that this statement has made matters worse in many respects. Uh, I think what we're being told is that D Forbes, as Director General, uh, finished a jigsaw, but that a number of other people uh, helped put the pieces together and their fingerprints are all over it. Certainly the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said that he did not think it credible that D Forbes was the only person to have known about these payments. And all week long, persistent, uncomfortable questions about the culture and governance at RTE that facilitated so many of these decisions. And anger within RTE at what was seen as double standards. On Late Debate with Barry Sinn Féin TD, Podrick McLaughlin. Podrick McLaughlin, uh, the Grant Thornton report, it also highlighted how tens of thousands of euro were paid out uh, to Ryan Tuberty via the barter account under the vague title of consultancy fees, a label which it said, quote, did not reflect the substance of the transactions. Uh, what are your react- what's, what's your reaction, therefore, to some of these new details we have tonight? Yeah, I, I was reading the statement earlier um, and in the appendix uh, it gives a uh, an explanation uh, in terms of the, the how they come to the top 10 earners. But what stood out to me is the phraseology that they use repeatedly is the talent. And I think that's so deeply offensive to the vast majority of people who are good, decent people who work in, in, in this building, um, who, you know, who are producers, researchers, journalists. Uh, are they not talent? Are none of them talented? 
I, I think everything, everything about the culture that got to this is in the way they describe the, the, the top 10 talent. That was Tuesday. By week's end, RDE board chair Shuni Rahala would be in agreement. On Tuesday afternoon, a protest by RTE staff angry at the controversy and its impact on the organisation's credibility and accusations yet again of double standards. On drive time, Labour Senator Marie Sherlock. And the key issue here is it is simply unacceptable that, that, that astronomical sums of money are paid to a small number of people on a contract. Like the reality is we've been told for years, oh, we have to pay these sums in case they move elsewhere. Only two people, two major names have left RT over the last 30 years since Century Radio came on the scene. And, and the sums on offer in Britain or elsewhere far exceed what RT could ever pay. So it is a nonsense to say that we have to be paying people a half a million euros um, in order to retain them within uh, RT. And, that's, that's and we point. need a complete reform of how people are employed by RT. Like, the You're, reality is mm-hmm. that somebody, you know, coming in as, 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 as a journalist in RT who's on, on a fixed-term contract, they have to go, go through a contract review group process in order to be made a permanent employee. There's none of that for those who have their contracts negotiated by an agent. Uh, and there's I, an, I, I didn't want to stop you, actually, in full flight there. What, what I was going to say is you're echoing strongly some of the points made by RT staff at the protest uh, and on the campus at lunchtime and I want to bring you to, to underline what you're saying Marie Sherlock uh, a contribution by our colleague Emma O'Kelly from the newsroom about some of the conditions uh, faced by RT staff we are constantly told there's no money, there's no money, people uh, can't get crews. So I have colleagues working on zero-hour contracts. I have colleagues who were on bogus self-employed contracts. Women who went on maternity leave and got no maternity pay, even though they were colleagues working day in, day out, rostered on shifts just like me, uh, who had no pension entitlements and no sick pay. Uh, we were told RT was in an existential crisis and there was no money. And all the time, now we discover uh, that these secret payments were being made on top of what we all regret already as a totally uh, exorbitant salary. Go get yourself a coffee. You may need it because there's more. Wednesday afternoon brought us the Oireachtas Media Committee four and a half hours of questioning, compelling viewing, jaw-dropping listening. But answers, not so much. Late debate brought us this. Why, would you, well, why, why did you not call out the concealment of those fees going into a barter account under the heading of consultancy fees. Why as Chief Financial Officer would you let that go? I wasn't aware of what they related to. I wasn't involved ah, in the stop. I am a postmaster myself. And I was working over the weekend where people pay at the television licence. And one gentleman actually said to me, will I re- revolute Ryan or Renault the money? A- again, it is, I'd like to apologise to the public and to our staff about what's occurred here because, and to the Oireachtas, because it is a clear breach of corporate governance. You know, the public are outraged about it, staff are outraged about it, Oireachtas is outraged about it, which is absolutely right. So as a board member, I'm incredibly ashamed that this has happened. Why did you accept Ms Forbes' resignation? Well, it, it, it was a decision that was taken that was another disastrous decision, in my opinion. How are we going to get any answers? Is Ryan Tubley going to be back on the air in RTE? At the moment, obviously, for editorial reasons, uh, it's impossible for Ryan Tubley to be back on air. We have seven people in the room here with seven big titles and everything else and responsibilities. And all of a sudden, 
only one person knows it all. I can't understand that. Are you trying to tell me that Dean Forbes ran everything? So please, this is an opportunity. Put your hands up in the air. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say you're telling lies or not, but there's someone telling lies. Fair to say that committee hearing didn't go too well. Clarity, transparency, not a lot. Just before Wednesday's drive time finished, Sarah read this from Minister Catherine Martin. The last couple of minutes, fairly blistering statement from Minister Catherine Martin. She says today's appearance at the media committee has revealed a shocking failure of governance at senior management level in RTE. This has not calmed the considerable disquiet about the lack of accountability at RTE in the public domain. At tomorrow's meeting of the Public Accounts Committee, it is vital the executive board engages in as transparent a manner as possible. And I urge those present to responsibly account for the decisions taken which have seriously damaged the public's trust in public service broadcasting. So might Thursday afternoon's Public Accounts Committee yield any more information? Its chair Sinn Féin's Brian Stanley was certainly going to try. Ahead of it all, he spoke to Rachel on Morning Ireland. The fundamental question, why payments to Ryan Tuberty weren't publicly declared, remains unanswered. What do you hope to learn today? Well, we would hope to get better explanations than what we got yesterday because what we got yesterday, and I saw uh, most of it was that every, uh, all of these uh, senior people are, all operate in silos, even though, even though they all belong to the one company uh, housed on the one campus. Uh, you would think, listening to them, that they're actually living in different countries. The whole issue, is, the whole issue around governance uh, is absolutely bizarre explanations uh, in relation to responsibility and accountability. And financial systems and practices, the likes of which I don't think anyone has ever seen before, and absolutely bizarre methods of and costly methods of making transactions, of doing transactions and making payments. So there's an awful lot of information yet to be dug into. Hop, skip and jump to Thursday afternoon and what would be described as a rolling media brawl. Under scrutiny, the role of agent Noel Kelly in the commercial operations of RTE. Brian Stanley put this to Chief Financial Officer Richard Collins. Could, could I ask you this, that in relation to consultancy, you know, that if somebody was coming in to advise you, um, somebody who would be negotiating on behalf of agents and negotiating on behalf of a number of agents in RTE, would you think it appropriate that they would be hired then to do some consultancy work? On reflection now, I don't think it is appropriate. But on, re- on reflection, I mean, this man had the whole thing in the palm of his hand. He wrote the letter of the man according to the Grant Thornton report demanding the final settlement. He sent over a letter for, you, for the board to sign, for the DG to sign. And he had the power of God by the look of that in the Grant Thornton report. And then, more revelations about the use of those barter accounts. Here is Chief Financial Officer Richard Collins. There was 111,000 for uh, travel and hotels to bring clients to the Rugby World Cup. Can you identify who them clients were? No. Can you give us... One more example uh, on, was the, on next, the top range. Yeah, there was 10-year IRFU tickets bought for, uh, well, they cost through the barter company 138,000. 138,000 euros of taxpayers' money. Can you give us one more example? The Champions League final in 2019, 26,000. Can I, can I just ask the chair, chair of, of, the, of the board, um, what do you make of... What we're being told here. Um, I've been just... Unless you didn't hear the detail of all that, 
Let's get it again. There was tickets to the Champions League hotels. Richard Kahn said there were transactions at a cost of 111,000 to the Barter account for travel and hotels to facilitate bringing clients to the Rugby World Cup in 2019. Uh, we didn't find out today who those clients were because of confidentiality, but I don't think it's been ruled out that we, w- we may find out who those clients are. Um, he also said that there were 10-year IRFU tickets purchased with a cost through the Barter account of 138,000 euro and transactions relating to the Champions League final in 20. 2019, totaling 26,000 euro and actually The newsroom brought us this reaction from NUJ representative Emma O'Kelly. To my mind and to the mind of other people I was speaking to, it seems to us that RTE has lost sight entirely of its public service remit. Anybody listening yesterday and hearing about cars being made available, trips to the K Club and, and to the Rugby World Cup, etc., it would seem to us uh, that the mm. commercial is certainly winning in that. And that really, people were on WhatsApp groups, were using the word sickening. Yesterday on Morning Ireland, Rachel spoke to Sinn Féin TD Imelda Munster. She had attended both committees and after all the hours of questioning, she gave this verdict. The more you delve, the shadier it gets. Sitting there yesterday, trying to get answers to questions, trying to extract those um, truthful answers was just excruciating. But all the while you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, the public have been misled the workers have been misled you know the the Oireachtas was was misled so as the week closes where to now Minister for Media Catherine Martin has said she is in the final stages of drafting terms of reference for an external review of RTE and the Oireachtas Committee on Media has agreed to invite members of the executive and board to appear before it again next Wednesday on yesterday's News at One, Gavin put this to Director of the Institute for Future Media at DCU, Professor Jane Souter. What is the future for RTE now, in your view? I think it is really important that uh, we actually think about this. I think the Taoiseach even referred to it in, um, in Brussels yesterday. Public service media is absolutely crucial for, um, for a well-functioning democracy. All of the research tells us that where public service uh, media is weak, the state of democracy are weak and people are less satisfied with their own democracies. So we really need it. But obviously at the root of it is trust. And there has to be trust between the, the public service media, the public service broadcaster, the political class, because clearly RTE has been arguing for, I'd say, more than a decade about the need for reform. But the trust between the uh, the executive board and those arguing for it and the politicians hasn't been there. They haven't delivered on it. In some ways, you know, they're culpable too, I would say. Um, and the, more importantly, the, uh, the license fee payers. So it's really, I think, absolutely crucial that uh, we move to a state where we can actually start thinking sensibly and in a grown-up manner about how we actually, how important public service media is and how we're going to fund it. And a lot of this work has been done in reports before. So it's a matter of implementing them, of having the conversations and of trying to rebuild trust. But it's going to be a huge challenge. And there we will leave it. Back in a bit. Welcome back. On Mooney Goes Wild, an invitation to stop and really listen. For, for people who are going to listen to Wellsong now, yeah. how should you listen to Wellsong? Attentively. 
You should listen silently. You should listen with nothing else to distract you. That's the way to listen. beautiful and mysterious and we heard the voice there of environmentalist Roger Payne who died this month. Now Payne was a biologist who discovered whale singing and made the 1970 recording Songs of the Humpback Whale. We heard him there speaking to nature documentary maker Tom Mustel and Tom spoke to Derek and the crew about that album's impact on the world. Uh, With his collaborator Scott McVeigh and his wife Katie Payne he proved that the recordings of humpback whales that were given to him by a Navy engineer who'd recorded them in the 50s and 60s were actually song that if you analysed them, they had repeated patterns in them, rhythm and rhyme, and small subunits that were broken up and uh, uh, put together in verse, chorus, verse style configurations. And by proving that, uh, he got the front cover of the journal Science. And really that was a great shock for the scientific community to think that these animals, whales, which nobody really gave much thought to and were being industrially slaughtered, might be capable of something that we thought really only humans and some birds could do. Uh, But the second thing he did was he was always an enormous believer in emotion over data. Um, His whole life really was about that, that data was very useful, but all the great events in human history have been shaped by emotion. And he realised when he listened to the music, he and Katie cried they thought it was so beautiful. And that he knew that if he played the songs of the whales to other people, this, more than their analytical discovery, would affect people in the way they thought about whales. And it did. It was absolutely huge. It was, and still remains, the best-selling environmental album in history and was sent into space by Carl Sagan on Voyager's Golden Record. And it was this album that galvanised the international Save the Whales movement. But even today, what we know about why whales sing isn't really clear. These whales sing for sometimes over 24 hours and their songs evolve every year as they listen to each other's calls. And they sing in every sea in the world and they've been doing it for longer, it's thought, than humans have been communicating with language on land. So it would seem a very complicated and long-winded and energetically expensive way of just saying something very simple if it is something very simple being uh, broadcast to be interpreted like, say, their body size or their mating readiness. But what is encoded in that song, if there is anything meaningful there, who knows? I mean, what Kate, one Kate thing that Katie did find was that they seem to employ rhyme and rhythm in their songs. And in human epic poetry and long human songs, rhyme and rhythm are ways that we can both cue in and remember things, but also remember from the performers very complicated long patterns, like in epic poems. So really, 
we don't know because they are so long, so little studied and so complex, even 50 years later, what they might represent. And it turns out it may not all be about the practical. Get food, find mate, procreate. Oh no, it might well be about fun. If you look at cetaceans, the whales and dolphins, they do lots of things that don't seem to have a very clear functional explanation. Bow riding by dolphins, where if you go on a boat in the sea and you're travelling and you're making way at a reasonable speed, often dolphins will come from the horizon to ride the wave in front of the boat. It might not be going in the direction that they were planning on going. Dolphins surf. They pass around puffer fish and intoxicate themselves intentionally. With Diana Reese's cognition experiments, when she placed mirrors in front of dolphins to see if they were self-conscious, if they could understand that they were seeing themselves in the mirrors, they not only passed this mirror recognition test, as it's called, they could see the dots on their bodies that she'd drawn, showing that they knew that it was their bodies in the mirror. But they stuck their mouths open and waggled their tongues around, and they had sex in front of the mirrors and did all sorts of quite identifiable things that you think maybe people might do if they'd never come across... I don't know. I mean, I'm speculating on what people might do. But they seem to do lots of things for fun and the pleasure of it. And I think in our relentless search for constantly trying to show why every action an animal does is justified by its evolutionary fitness, we might be missing out on a bigger picture. All on Mooney Goes Wild, and yes, dolphins, very clever creatures. But would you trust them? Do you know where Fungi is? Is he alive? (gasps) Of course he is. He is swimming in the clearest and bluest of waters. We know this. Don't even think about it. And with Ray running the country, more in a little bit, from Avondale in Wicklow on Thursday, a quiz that all you twitchers at home can play. Ray's two contestants, Pat Nevin and Dahi the Forge. So this is Do You Know Your Birds okay. in Avondale Quiz. Okay. With Pat and Dahi. <laughs> okay, let's see how we go. Right, uh, Dahi, for you first. Can you name this bird? That's a pheasant. It is a pheasant. Well done, Dahi. Yeah, You're off to a good start. <laughs> Pat, can you name this bird? Sounds like a blackbird. It is a blackbird. Well done. And uh, Charles Stewart Parnell's nickname was the Blackbird of Avondale. Dead right. And the reason for that was, in the big house, he used to go up to the mezzanine, that's what I'm going to call it, there was sort of a balcony, Uh, and when he was starting as an orator, orator, he wasn't that good, so he used to practice at home in front of his sisters. That's right. And they said he looked like a blackbird in a tree, and that's how he got the nickname. So what what scores it now? It's one all. One all. Okay, back to you, uh, Dahi. Can you name this bird... Wren, possibly. It's a robin. It's a robin. Yes, oh. it's a robin. It's a robin. <laughs> this, this is ecologist versus yeah, forester. Right. Okay, yeah, okay, exactly. right, right. This is a great pub game, isn't it? Ecologist versus forester. Yeah. Name that bird. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't Orty making problems like that? For good reason. Okay, right. Uh, <laughs> Pat, this is this is to win for you. Okay, to win. Can you name this bird? Two, please. Take two. That's what the college is called. That's a wood pigeon. It is a wood pigeon. Well done. Sorry, Dolly. Right. That is today's winner. Uh, <laughs> Dolly would beat me on trees. So no if you asked about trees, Dolly would know. That, would, you, would you? Yeah. Yeah, yes. unfortunately, trees don't make sound. So it doesn't make <laughs> <a good laughs> that, 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 That's it. As far as we know.
Now to round off our nature section, Dr. Jane Goodall. And she featured on RTE Junior's Ecolution, the Climate Action Podcast. And its presenter, Evie Kenny, spoke to the world-renowned primatologist. So at the moment, the EU is debating a nature restoration law that would begin to address the huge losses in biodiversity and wild spaces we've seen. But they're getting huge pushback, with many saying it goes too far and will impact agriculture and food production. How would you respond to this? Well, it's a pretty simple response, really. If we don't stop raiding the bounty of Mother Nature, then more species will disappear, more habitats will disappear. And what we have to realize is we humans are not exempt from extinction. We could become extinct if we go on despoiling the environment. So we've got to find a way of living in harmony with nature. And fortunately, more and more organizations are thinking like this. It was Mahatma Gandhi who said, nature can provide for human need, but not for human greed. And when you think of people who have so much more than they need, why do we need private jet? Why do we need four houses in case we want to go to a different part of the world? And the other thing, which people tend not to think of, we've got to do something about poverty. Because you imagine you're living out like the people near Gombe. Too many people for the land to support. And you can't afford to buy food elsewhere. And your land is infertile. So what do you do? You're going to cut down the trees to make some money from charcoal or timber or to make more land to grow more food just in order to survive. So we need to do something about poverty on the one hand and the unsustainable lives of the wealthy on the other hand and come to a nice middle ground. Dr Jane Goodall been interviewed by Evie Kenny on RTE Junior's Ecolution. Wise words. Back in a bit. Welcome back. The Darcy, sweaty pits and shining brows all over the country courtesy of their Run With Ray 5Ks. A trail of fragrance that started in Donegal, then hit Sligo, Westmeath, Wicklow and finally wafted back to Dublin. And if all of that sounds exhausting, it is. But these runners seemed to love it. Day one was in Boncrana and this was the before. Uh, Liam Doherty, I'm from Bunkrana. I've just recovered from a kind of an injury, Achilles, but uh, new pair of runners as well, so. Ready to roll. Ready to roll, ready to roll. This is my first 5k. I do a lot of walking and things like that. I'm swimming every day as well, but uh, first 5k. How are you feeling about that? Oh, great. Daunted or excited? Oh, no, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Kathleen Furlong, I'm from Greencastle. Before I leave the house, I could probably raise my voice. But when I come back, I'm going, oh, this is so lovely. I love everybody. It's great for my head. I actually do it for just to clear my head. I love it. I see the daisies and I see the buttercup. Yeah, I love it. It's actually, it's my means of relaxation. Now that's all very lovely, but will you be feeling quite so zen afterwards? I'm feeling great, actually. The breeze was beautiful, carried everybody along and uh, wasn't too warm. So, and everyone's, uh, everyone's uh, buzz, the atmosphere kept you going. So it's great. Delighted to be part of this. Feeling fantastic. Great run. Absolutely brilliant conditions. Yeah. It, was, it looks like you enjoyed yourself. I did, yeah. Great time too. <laughs> Delighted. 
very good, very good, absolutely tough, lovely course, absolutely gorgeous, They're really nice, and I uh, really enjoyed it, and I was only down here on holidays, and I seen the van, jeez, the hurry is on here today, I have to do that. Disgustingly chipper for play. But speaking of having to do things, what about reporter Sinead Neulachon? She had been tasked weeks ago with running this 5k and having never really run before, how was it for her? It was good. I managed to do it. Now, I didn't run the entire 5k. I ran a good bit and then I'd stop up and walk for a good maybe two minutes or so and then I'd start again. And I could see people ahead of me and they were kind of, it was kind of as if it was like a game. So they were passing me out and then I said to myself, well, I'm definitely going to pass you out later on. So I'd speed up and manage to get past them. So I was playing a game with myself. I'm very grateful to Republic of Luce and Hosier and uh, CMAT because they got me through it. I have my headphones here. I am sweating I am dripping with sweat but you know when you have accomplished something and you feel so proud of that sweat and proud of getting to the finish line and when I could see the finish line in sight it just gave me that extra kick I have to say the people along the course as well were brilliant when I was feeling a little bit weak and somebody would overtake me a few people were telling me okay you're at the three kilometre mark, the four kilometre mark and they kept me going as well. I'm so glad I decided to run. Oh well done doing it so we don't have to. And also on with Darcy from Mullingar photographer James Crombie. He talked about how to strike a pose or rather not strike a pose but still not look like a potato head. What's the best way to get a natural Forget about the technical side of it. A natural moment. Yeah, as opposed to go, everyone say cheese, you know, yeah. because particularly children, because some children tend to grimace instead of smile, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Look, I much prefer natural pictures. Um, take lots of pictures when you're in that scenario and you might get the interaction. You know, tell people to look at each other and, and there's a good one we always do is just stare at each other and see, have a staring competition and generally someone will break off and have a laugh and then you oh actually, yeah, very you actually good, get very a natural good. picture. You know what I mean? Now there, there, my daughter's heard that. There's you at work. Wow, hey, that's, that's, that's quite good. That's quite good. That's quite good. Ah, nice work. It's, it's what I would say is smell the fart. Uh, you're, you're staring off into the middle distance there. That's there you the, go. Natural moment. Natural, natural moment, yeah, yeah. Not 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 point that you fart, right? James, you know, but, yeah, yeah. God forbid. God for God forbid. Yeah. Absolutely no idea how they ended up there. On culture file, water. From an exhibition looking at the experiences of African women swimming here in Dublin and in Barbados. Its title, Mama Wata Imiri Neely. Mami Wata is a revered deity and also a name given to sea creatures and people that are very much heavily involved in water. So, you know, in Nigeria, if you see someone that is swimming a lot or someone that you so happen to find by a river or even by the sea, they might be termed mami water and it's very much linked to an indigenous religion that is revered and originates from West Africa but also has made its way to Latin America and Brazil through the migration of people from Africa all over the world. 
I'm trying to mimic the ideas of the water and just calm waves, right? And this idea of a pool and the bodies of water coming together. And then we take a left and we're now ushered into one of the changing rooms, which we now have just some, again, I think this is very much what I was focused around of this idea of just women being women, right? And learning these skills and the joy of being in the water. That was artist Chinadu Muotu speaking to Louise Williams on Culture File. This week, we know who is talking out for the Australia Women's World Cup. Katie McCabe, captain. But some disappointments, as Republic of Ireland manager Vera Pau acknowledged. She spoke to soccer correspondent Tony Donoghue. Incredibly difficult. And the talks with the players were heartbreaking and it still touches me. Um, but, um, yeah, that's part of elite sport. Uh, and now we... We finally made that, they made a step over that line, uh, and from here we go full full power to to the World Cup. How do the players take the news? Yeah, it's of course devastating. I've, I've uh, broken dreams, um, and uh, uh, that's devastating um, for for all. Uh, all the other players were also um, very much down. It was not a celebration day yesterday. All eyes on the squad on July 20th for their opener against Australia. And to finish, a clip from Countrywide. Reporter Jermith McIntyre went to Spansill Hill Horse Fair and he met Mikey Power from Kilmallock in County Limerick. Now he's only 13, but he did recall selling his very first horse, age 11. I was nervous telling him about the pony and you know, first time selling it to a horse. But after a while you get the hang of it like... You can't just leave out the simple thing and you get someone hurt us. So you have to tell them everything. You be fair and they'll be fair back. You've got to tell her if she's trained, if she's jocked, if she's rolling, do you get me? Like, if she's shooed, like, do you know? If she's quite under the car. So you be honest, they'll be honest back. And you'll get to sell the ponies, you know? They might buy something off you again. Because you're coming back and you're telling the truth. So I might tell them, this pony, they like, say if I didn't have hands or something on her and she's driven. And they go home and put hands on her and drive her, and the pony acts mad like it hurts someone. Then they won't come back and buy off you again, like. Where did you learn that now? I learned it off my father and my uncle. So I'll be going to fairs and they're selling horses. I listen to them and things like. If you listen, in the long run, it comes in good to you, like. Do you know? You know what to talk about. Do you know? You know how to have a proper conversation with them, and you know how to sell your pony. Do you know? You're, you're never there, like, tongue tied, like, uh, you don't know what to say, like, do you know? You know a lot about horses, and that's a good thing. What a clip on which to finish. Well, that is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. I'm not here for the next fortnight, but I'll be back in a bit. Yes, I'm being followed by a 